So Philippians, I'll just start. We'll read the first 11 verses, and then we'll kind of dig in. Philippians 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we see that Paul says, in my chains, we know he's imprisoned as he write this, wrote this letter, and he writes it to the people in Philippi. And we learned, or knew, Philippi is actually in Europe, um, in Greece. And it's a, a city that was a Roman military colony. Most of the Jews that would have been there would have been slaves, probably. And so it's a military colony under Roman rule, which we find out was pertinent when Paul visited there in Acts 16 on his second missionary trip. Um, and because he was a Roman and had been beaten and imprisoned unlawfully, he ended up gaining favor. Um, and we found out that to be a benefit to the church because they also now are going through persecution. So they're being dealt with by people that were mistreating them uh, because of who they were. And we find out that they were discouraged. And so Paul's writing this letter. And we know this city was named after Alexander's the Great's dad. And it was a very prominent city. In fact, he talked about the Battle of Philippi that went there. And so it's renowned, it's Roman and it's mostly ungodly. And when Paul went there in Acts 16, there were not enough males to form a synagogue. So whenever there was enough males, they had to form one. The woman met out by the river. If you remember, Lydia was there, seller purple. So there was not a large gathering of Jews. And uh, Paul had started the church, and it was the first church in Europe. So it's still renowned for a few things. And then we know that about 10 to 11 years later, after that missionary trip, after the church had been planted, um, we read already that there are pastors, bishops, and deacons. It's the first mention of leadership in the church uh, um, in, the, in the chronological of the Bible that I know of. And Epaphrodites had left Philippi to go to minister to Paul. And we're going to find out that uh, he was, ended up being sick unto death. They were concerned for him. They kept on sending um, love offerings to Paul. So this church, although they were probably very poor and 
mistreated, they had giving hearts. They were looking to bless Paul through this uh, mission that he was on because he was dear to their heart. And they were obviously dear to Paul's heart. And we find out that on uh, his return trip back, when he gives him this letter, that he doesn't start it like he does a lot of the epistles. A lot of the epistles were are doctrine formed because they're correcting bad behavior. And he has to set his authority by saying, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, because he wants them to know, I have an authority, not that I want to boast or that I need to put it over you, but you need to receive this as if from Christ. This letter, Paul just writes it as if to friends. He doesn't make a mention. There is no correction per se in there. And a few words, remembering and thinking. He mentions it in all four chapters. So they were there. They're going through difficulty. And Paul exhorts them to remember and to think. So if he mentions it, it's probably good for us to remember that too. And I had mentioned that last time. I read in one of the commentaries it says that you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. We are not able to change our heart, but we can change our mind. Right? The word repentance in the New Testament, metanauta, means to change your mind. Agree with God. And then it says God can change your heart, but he can't change your mind. You have to be willing, and if you're willing, God is able. So now that he just says, think about what you're doing, what you're going through, and why things are happening. And it's important, because sometimes we see things through carnal, fleshly eyes, because we still, even if we're born of the Spirit, we still have the flesh. And uh, there's things that we needed to be reminded of. And another thing that's mentioned, joy. If, I, if you go through the word joy, joyness, gladness, you can find it literally 15, I found it 15 times, but people say a form of the original word is 19 times. So joy is a big theme going through this, which it seems odd that or maybe not, maybe if you're going through a, a difficult time, you know, people say, come on, cheer up. You know, like, <laughs> just somebody telling you that doesn't help. You have to have a reason for that. And Paul lays out a reason why they both can be true. And like, hopefully this question will be answered through reading the book. Is persecution bad? Is it good? Well, we'll hopefully we'll come to that conclusion. How we view that will depend upon our attitude going through it. And hopefully if we've been taught these things, then we can remember and look back, and it might not be so hard going through something that seems difficult to us or even start asking the questions, why God, why me? If you have any shortage of those things, you can come talk to me. I have lots of them. <laughs> I'm constantly complaining. And so speaking of joy, it's hard to not think of that in this uh, season that we're in right now, right? Christmas, Christmas joy, the spirit of Christmas. Everyone talks about the spirit of Christmas. I grew up, what, what is the spirit of Christmas? It's, it's like a real thing. Like sometimes people, we're actually in line, my sons and I, the other day, and there was a number, take a number. So we're sitting there and we went up, he says, take a number, and I go, and there's no number there. So we're waiting, and I didn't know, so they ran, I thought it ran out. Evidently, the last guy that took one pulled it out too fast, the next one didn't come. So now we have no idea where we are. They're not really a blaze of speed. And so there's a bunch of us sitting there, and nobody knows who's next. And the guy behind the counter even said, uh, who's next? 
And like a couple people stood forward. He's like, it's Christmas. Come on, figure it out. Like at Christmas, people expect you to be nice. And people are nicer. There is something there. And, and if they're not saved, what is it? Something to ponder and think about. Is it happiness? What would make somebody happy about Christmas? Well, when you're a kid, you, you want stuff. Right? Happiness defined, as we know, external circumstances. If, if my circumstances come and they benefit me, so I think I'm happy. If they change, now I'm not happy. So they're, they're dependent upon circumstances. And certainly the circumstances around Christmas, people should be nicer and they're happy. Um, but joy is an internal awareness of the presence of God. Right? Even Jesus, in, in my presence is the fullness of joy. So joy, you can have joy through any circumstance because he's always there. The question is, is, are we experiencing him and are we walking away from that? It's something that's always available to us. Hopefully we'll go through that thoroughly, thoroughly also. So happy, happiness, I noticed, right, um, we made a reference, Dave did. He, Dave talked about persecution. He talked about a lot of things I'm talking about tonight. I'm sitting there thinking he's going to take everything, but it's complimentary, I hope. So it seems like it goes right along with this morning's message. He ended up going, talking about the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, right? But happiness is not listed as a fruit of the, of the, of the flesh, a work of the flesh. I almost said fruit, right? Flesh has works. It's what you do. You're working at it. Where fruit is something that happens to you. It grows, right? Jesus, I'm the vine. If you just stay attached to him, fruit grows. You don't see branches struggling. So that is, joy is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. So... Um, there are these things that happen to us, and then there's things that we necessarily go ourselves. So just to talk a little bit about that, I was going to, what happens to us, where does these things come from in the spirit? And um, I, think, I thought a reference that came to my mind was Psalm 51. So I'll probably just read the first 13 verses if you want to join me there. Because I think it helps when we're going through something as the Philippian church was going through and there's something going on inside of us, if we, we react wrong or we misjudge or we think improperly of why it's happening, sometimes we can now all of a sudden get into this thing with God when it had nothing to do with him. Sometimes it is self-imposed, right? Something I've done and I did separate myself from the presence of God. I turned my back on him. I didn't make him go away. He's always there. But I have a title on mine. It's a very popular chapter. Many know this. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And verse 1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in my sin my mother conceived me. And said, so God remembers our frame that we're dust. He's not surprised when we sin. Sometimes we get surprised when we sin because we think too highly of ourselves. <laughs> Six, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Just as we sang, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me 
and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. And again, a very common spot. Verse 10, I'm sure many of you, you're well taught, you know this. Create in me a clean heart, O God. And that word create in the Hebrew is bara, and it's a word that means to create something out of nothing. I need a clean heart, and I don't have it. I need you to do it. And David's asking because he knows God's willing to do that. He'll put a new heart in you if you're not saved. And then it says, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. I already have something inside that he put there. The part of me needs to come from him that's going to be worth anything. And that word renew means to renew or repair. And it's as cutting or polishing a sword, according to the dictionary. So it's like if you have a sword, you have something there and it's useful, but it gets tarnished. I need God to create something in me that's worth something for him. And then by my life and by me tainting it, it gets tarnished. And he wants to put an edge on it and he wants to make it polished. So I need him to start something and then I need him to keep it going. And then he says in verse 13 or 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. And again, that word re restore means to, to return or turn back. And you notice it doesn't say the joy of my salvation. It says the joy of your salvation. He saves us. We're, we can rejoice because of him. He's the one that does the work. He's the one that completes the work. And that's why we can have um, a firmness. We know where we're going. I can know that I know because it's not about what I did. It's about what he's done. And because he saved me, I then can have joy. Right? As my friend Steve, Prophet Steve, if you would ever see him, say, hey, how's it going today? He was, oh, I'm going to heaven. What, what else can be wrong? If you know where you're going, you just start there. Everything's okay. Everything's going to be okay. Everything might not be comfortable, but everything's going to be okay. And uphold me by your generous spirit. It's his spirit. And the New King James says generous. The King James says free. And it's a Hebrew word I'm not going to butcher. But it, it basically means willing or noble, and noble as in rank or mind or character. So his spirit is noble. He's, the Holy Spirit's God. He is the Lord, and he's willing. It's almost as if there's a king that is willing and wants to and desires to bestow things to you because he's good. And, and he, he is the one that passes it down. And that's where we can have this comfort and uh, a surety to know where it comes from. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. You did it, and uphold me by your free spirit. He gives it to you freely. And uh, I think that as we go through things, whether it's difficult and it's flawed because of what we've done or because we just think that God's upset with us, that uh, we can always come back to our salvation. You can always just pray. You can confess your sins, start there, and say, what is going on? And is does God, so there's trials. Everyone knows what a trial is, right? It's all through the Bible, and you're alive. You must know what a trial is, whether you realize that's what it is or not. We go through them constantly. 
as uh, Pastor Jeff used to say, you're either coming out of a trial, in a trial, or about to go into a trial. It's just part of life. God uses that to form us and to create us. Um, persecution can be a trial, but it's not the same. Because it doesn't have to be. Sometimes it's not about you being tested. We can have joy through it. Well, but either way, if we're not sure, we should just come to him. Right? So persecution, what is persecution? The Merriam-Webster defines it as the act or practice of persecuting, especially those who differ in origin, religion, or social outlook. Another Cambridge says unfair or cruel treatment over a long period of time because of race, religion, or political beliefs. So, so you don't have something in common with somebody. Everybody, we're all different. Everyone has something unique about yourself. We have something in common, Jesus. So it's, it's the opposite, the way I, I see it, of fellowship. Fellowship is coming together over something, where persecution is a dividing over something. And we have something quite different than the world. The world isn't in love with our God. The war, the, the, our flesh is at war with him. There's a spiritual entity that's at war with him. And he's okay with it. It draws a line. And he, in fact, Jesus himself said, right, those who live godly shall suffer persecution. Shouldn't surprise us. Um, sometimes I wonder, it's convicting, how come I'm, I'm not being persecuted more? Because why, why, why do I have sometimes it seems to have so much in common with people that aren't godly? You know, sometimes it's by choice and sometimes it's um, by accident because I'm, I'm more like them than I want to think I am. More like my f old man, my flesh. And, uh, but the good news is you can, you can avoid persecution. So if you don't want to be persecuted, if you think it's uncomfortable, if it's not healthy, if you think that it's demeaning, I have good news for you. Jesus says if you want to live godly, you will suffer, suffer persecution, so just don't live godly. There is an alternative, right? Um, it's not a good one, but it works. Lot, right, he was uncomfortable. His, his righteous soul was being vexed day by day. It says in Genesis 19 that he was there. He ended up, he was looking towards Sodom, then he dwelt in Sodom, then he was next thing you know, he's in the gate of Sodom. He's there, but what happened? His witness was gone. Next thing you know, there's something coming, and he's trying to tell people about it. They laughed at him. So it says something about him, but it also says something about those around him. They were giving him a hard time, and he chose not to fight, not to, not to fight the battle. And you know what? It, it, it made him be able to survive and get through, but there's a cost to it. So now the question is, is do I love me more or them? Do I want to deal with this? They need it. I don't know if I want to do it. Another example of how to get out of it, there's another thing, it's just choose tolerance over truth. There's a truth, but people tell me to be tolerant. Well, I don't want to force my opinion on you just because God said it and he meant it and it's important and you might go to hell if you don't believe it, you must be born again, but I don't want to push it on you. That's not love, right? We even read that in, uh, in chapter one, verse 
8 and 9, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. True love has knowledge and there's discernment. There's something that matters and it's important. And the question is, is do I want to speak the truth in love or do I just want to get along with everybody under the veil of tolerance? Don't say that there's only one way to God. If you say that, you're going to probably get persecuted too, publicly. It's amazing, actually, you can talk about God, but if you say that there's a way to God, it implies that they're not on that road or they're not on that way or that they don't know him. And true or not, it's offensive and people will get upset or mention, you can even talk about God sometimes, but never ask anybody about Jesus or if they want Jesus in your life. I used to have a shirt that my friend gave me that said, Jesus loves you, yes, you. And I had another one that said, that was the one I was thinking about. It says, ask me about Jesus. So people look at it, and they, you can see them make eye contact with you. Then they look at your shirt, and it says, ask me about Jesus. And then they would look away. They didn't want to look at me. It's like, I don't want to talk about that. That's dividing. And I don't even want you to know that I think that I know I'm supposed to ask you about something, because I don't really want to talk about them. And that is where a lot of people are at. But some people ask, uh, Elijah lived godly did miracles, and then got threatened and said, you know what, he didn't compromise, he just ran. In other ways, to be secluded, right? For a while in First Kings 19, he ended up going up into the mountain and just said, you know what, I'm the only one, I'm just going to separate myself. So another way that you can avoid persecution is just by separating yourself and getting alone and staying away. But we find out that Jesus sends us out as sheep amongst wolves. He has no problem with not just making you different, but then putting you back into the place where there are people that are hostile. He did it. It's a plan, it's, and it's for a purpose. And uh, so what, one of the things that persecution does, right, it, it's evidence. It, for one thing it is, it's evidence that the people that are persecuting you, they don't want God. It's also evidence that they see God in you. They wouldn't persecute you if you were like them. So persecution in and of itself isn't bad. It's a good sign. It's a sign saying there's a line drawn, it's here, and it's known. So now you're giving people an opportunity to make a decision. And let's go back to Philippians 1, verse 12. It says, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul is in chains. He's being arrested. He's being persecuted. But he says that these things actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. These were a tool that God was using. It wasn't because I was in trouble. It's not because I'm necessarily under trial being tested. It's God is allowing this persecution to put me where he wants me and to draw a line. And some people are actually getting saved. 13, so it became has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains, and much more bold to speak the word without fear. So what's happening to me is also encouraging some of the other brethren. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my chains, but the latter, out of love, 
knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. My chains have allowed me to preach. My chains have encouraged some to preach for a wrong heart. My chains have encouraged some people to preach with a right heart, and I can rejoice. Another, I have joy. This is a good thing. 19, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Again, a very popular verse. There's many very popular verses in Philippians. Uh, some of them, I believe, are taken out of context. But Paul here is saying, it doesn't matter what happens to me to live as Christ. If I'm here, I want to represent Christ. It doesn't matter what happens to me. My life is not my own. I have eternity with him. This is only going to decide how I'm going to spend eternity. Right? I'm going to reap up for myself treasures in heaven, as Jesus said that won't be stolen or faded away. They can take everything from me here. They can throw me in jail. They can take all of my stuff, but they can't take that away. And it doesn't matter, because for me to live is Christ. And if I die, I'm just better off. And that's true for us spiritually, too. If we can die to self and live in Christ, we're better off. 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. I will still be getting rewards and benefiting people here on the earth. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And that verse has struck me for years. I've shared this with a few people. But if I live on in the flesh, that will mean fruit for my labor. But what I shall choose, I do not know. I cannot tell. So Paul, it's, he says that he has a choice. I don't know if I want to live or die. It, it doesn't say that God gives them that choice, but it implies it. I mean, I've heard of people that have had bad accidents and were in comas. People from this fellowship even that have gone and another uh, relative of somebody that was in, in here and they had met Jesus in a vision who said, these people are praying for you. They want you to come back. This is what I have waiting for you. Do you want to come now or do you want to go back? If you go back, you will come here eventually. And they said, well, then I'll go back because I want, I want to bless them because I know where I'm going. And their lives are different once they've been through that, that scenario. But to choose, and you would think that, right, if we're walking, we have the flesh and the spirit, right? We have this decision. Our whole life is, as a Christian, like, I want, to, I want to do the right thing. And you would think that this whole doctrine of choosing would be throughout the whole Bible, and I was surprised that this word choose is only in the New Testament a couple times. A couple of them are references in the Old Testament, and I think the way the Lord explained it to me is, a, is if you are um, a prisoner to the flesh, then you do what it says. If you're of, to the, of the Lord, you do what it says. It's almost like there's a computer. I'm not a computer guy, but this is an analogy you gave me. <laughs> it's like you have two icons. So when you have a, a Windows, you have 
a, a program running. Now, I'm not a programmer, so I don't decide how it runs. But I can, I can click on it, and it'll run. And then once you get saved, you have another option. So you have two icons, flesh and spirit. And I can choose which one is running, but I can't choose how it runs. If you're walking in the, in the spirit, you, will, you can't deny the Lord Jesus Christ. He will do the right thing. If you're walking in the flesh, you cannot do the right thing. Everything you do will have a wrong motive, even as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. Even if you did something that was good, it'll come out as a clanging symbol. So we really don't, the only thing that we get to decide is, am I going to walk with him or am I going to walk away from him? And that's, and that's why the Apostle Paul says it's between the flesh and the spirit. And he says, I must die daily. I have to die. You, you, you don't get better. Another thing, I remember when I first started coming here on a Monday night study, Pastor Billy was teaching and he basically said, Christians don't, you don't become better. Your flesh doesn't get better. The flesh has to die. He doesn't say you're going to become a better person. He says you can be replaced. Any moment you go back into the flesh, you have just the same potential to be as bad as you ever were, as anybody is. You have the potential to do bad. You should be, you probably will realize that you're sinning more, or sinning less, but you'll be repenting more. Because little things now you're going to realize are sin. So you should be sinning less and repenting more. You will, you will look better on the outside because people will see you walking in the spirit more, hopefully. But your flesh doesn't get fixed. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Crucify the old man. So 23, he talks about this decision. Being with him is far better. 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So he, he puts this progress and he refers to joy and faith, right? So faith is how we apply what we learn and what we do. And uh, we know that it says that it's impossible to live godly apart from him. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And he's never wrong. But he also said that with me, you can do all things. The Apostle Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13, in the same book. And he's talking about going through things that are easy and going things, through things that are hard. Right? Have you ever watched the Olympics or some sports? I don't know if you guys are sports people. But I hear Philippians 4.13 quoted quite a bit. It's, it's usually after some great victory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If that was going to be taken in context properly, then they should also be quoting that after they just got their leg broken, lost, and dropped the winning pass, and they lose now. <laughs> I can win and I can lose. That's the context of it all. I can go through things that are good, and I can go through things that are hard. I can, I can have a lot. I can have a little, because it's not really about me. Our flesh will always make it about us. That's why it has to die. If it's about you, you won't have joy. You'll have happiness at times, and then it'll go away. If something makes you happy and you're like, oh, a gift from God, is this truly joy? Well, if, it takes, if it's taken away, you're going to lose it? Well, then that was happiness. I don't think happiness is wrong. Again, it's not a work of the, of the flesh listed. Um, it, should just go, it shouldn't be mistaken for joy. So, again, a couple of times ago I taught, I was in Habakkuk, and it Goes, it said, the just shall live by faith. Here it says that he wants to add 
to see their progress of joy and faith. So if you're getting persecuted, the whole point how we do it is to walk by faith. What does faith say? Faith is in somebody. Why is this happening? Okay, well, he's allowing it to happen, so therefore I'm going to walk in faith. I can have joy because I know God's in control. I know I'm saved. I, I am going to heaven. How bad can it be? Whatever happens, happens. We'll read about that a little bit. And we're going to take communion here at the end. But one of the things, uh, we'll continue. Uh, 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. And again, that's kind of where I was going earlier. It's just, it causes people to make a choice, and it brings to light something that people might not be aware of. I don't know if you get picked on or joked at, usually it happens when you're around a lot of people, and it's kind of like a group thing of unbelievers, but you always wonder, that they probably feel bad when, when they're alone, and they, now they got to deal with it. You just brought Jesus and put him in their face, and they, they might be laying in bed thinking about it, they don't even know. I think I mentioned I used to go out in the street windowsing and passed out tracks. And I remember before I was saved, I always knew there was a God. I certainly wasn't following him. And people would walk up to me on the streets when I was younger and hand me a track. And if they would have turned around and watched me, I knew what it represented, and it made me uncomfortable. I wouldn't even look at it. And as soon as I didn't want to litter another sin. I'll get zapped for that. So as, as soon as I found a garbage can, I would politely put it in and keep walking. And that person might have thought, oh, well, that was a waste of money or a waste of time. But I would lay in bed thinking about it. It would bother me. It'd haunt me. The Holy Spirit nagged me. The hound dog of heaven. And I, I, I had to think about it. Sometimes another pastor, John used to say that if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, you know which one you hit because it's the one that yelps the loudest. Sometimes the people that are the most vocal are the ones that are the most convicted. Or they're just mean. I don't know. I, I work with both, mean and convicted, and believers and nice guys, and you always wonder what's happening. But I'm sure that sometimes when you sit there and walk away and things were, didn't seem to go well, you have no idea what's going on in their heart. And, it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. So what, what is being done? I'm, I'm being, Jesus himself, right? John, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil for my namesake, for great is your reward in heaven. It's an, so by faith, if something happens, it's an opportunity for a blessing. It's an opportunity to walk by faith. We know that without faith, you can't please God. So, so the whole view on things, what if things get really bad in this country? Well, define bad. What if things give you an opportunity to walk by faith, to show love, to make it clearer, and for people to be convicted when they see you so they might go to heaven? That's not bad. It's uncomfortable sometimes to our flesh, but it's not bad. Yep, 20, and not in any way terrified by your adversary. They don't need to terrify you. 
If you're going to be scared, be scared of God. God's holy. A reverence, a holy reverence of fear. Um, the fear of man brings a snare. But we don't need to be afraid. Like Paul said, if I live in the flesh, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. They, all they can do is get you home earlier. But what a way to go. There's, there's promises. You don't want to get, I don't want to cons, construe persecution for people picking on me because I'm being stupid. I don't want to be in the flesh saying things that aren't nice, which I do, and that's not the persecution I'm looking for. That's just a reward for my being an idiot. I'm an idiot. Um, but let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Strive together with the believers. Don't be terrified of your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you salvation. When you're being persecuted, don't be terrified of them, because to you it's proof of your salvation, and that from God. I don't, I don't ever look at it that way. God says, oh, praise the Lord, they see you. Paul, in Acts 16, in Philippi, was in jail, and we just think he's a nut. He's praising God in jail after being beaten and bloody in the darkest part at the bottom, singing songs to God. He, he, he exhibited to them everything he's telling them. And it's not because they have, they have to suck it up, try to find enough joy, just push through it. He's like, no, you're missing out on God. God's in this. Enjoy him in it. They saw Jesus in me. That's a miracle. <laughs> they, they hated Jesus so much that they saw me and they took it out on me. What did God do in me that they could see him? That's, that's reason to rejoice. That's the proof that you've been saved. They're treating you like they want to treat him. God can do something in you. That's not bad. 29, for you it has been granted, here's a memory verse to stick on your fridge, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's granted. It's a privilege. But I don't always see it that way because I don't always see through the eyes of faith, the lens of Jesus' eyes. And having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. So they can sit there and look at their lives and say, yeah, it was tough, we're being beaten, we're poor, we're slaves, we're going through this, and it's hard. Even our pastor got beaten, got sent out. Uh, or they can, they can live and walk by faith. If you'd flip real quick to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Do we view these things the way God views them? For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us of God, the free spirit. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man 
does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the Philippians going through this were distraught, and it's mainly because they probably just don't know. They're not taught. We need to learn. They're going through, they're being persecuted and there's difficulty, um, but are they walking by faith, not by sight, and are they walking in the spirit? This is a Pastor Dave exhorted us today, right? We need revival. The world needs an awakening. They need salvation. We need revival. The churches, and, and to understand, especially for who knows what we're going through, especially our kids, as you know, I have a grandchild. Anyone seen a picture of my grand? I'll show you later. <laughs> I got lots of them. Right? What's the, what's the world going to be like and what he's growing up in? If things are actually going the way that the Bible says it's going to be, forget about being prepared for it. You don't even know what's going to happen. How do, how, do you, how do you do it? It's easy. You just walk with God. Do what he says. It's that simple. Walk in the Spirit. That's everybody's goal. That's your personal walk. Paul's exhortation and Spirit's exhortation, exhortation to this body of believers that are going through this difficulty is God is working, don't be discouraged. Things might seem hard, but guess what? The, the, there's people getting saved. The, the, the work is going forth. People are making decisions. God's spirit isn't bound just because I'm in chains. I'm not bound either. Grace has allowed prisoners to hear. And that's grace. You think you have a friend that needs to get saved, have him get chained to the Apostle Paul. <laughs> he thinks he's the guard. Who's, who's really being tested? Who's really in chains? Uh, he allowed the Roman guards to hear. He allowed Paul to go to Rome. And will also be with you in persecution for good. Paul is exhorting the Philippians. Hey, things aren't going bad for me. They look uncomfortable. I know you're distraught. I know you're upset. I know you care for me. I know you think things are going bad. Um, but this happened to me when I was there, and it turned out for good. It turned out for your good to the Philippians, and it's going to turn out for good for those around you right now also. And just to not be dis discouraged with what's going on right now. We don't know what the world holds. We don't know what the election holds. We don't know uh, what world powers hold. All we do know is the word says Jesus is coming back soon. And if he's coming back soon, he's going to do something. And if he does something, it might be uncomfortable. But it's not bad. It's good. If you're walking in the spirit and you're walking by faith, he's doing something. And if it becomes uncomfortable, persecution even, then jump up and join spin, which is what the word actually means in Matthew. <laughs> be joyful, because great will be your reward in heaven. So... On that note, we're going to be taking communion tonight. So if you guys want to come up and we'll sing a song. And if you would like to, I don't think there's instructions on them if you haven't been here before. But it's tool layered. You just peel it off and just kind of wait during the song, come up and get it. And then we'll read and take communion afterwards together.